from the century-old St. John's Lutheran Church of Taylor, Michigan, comes the coast-to-coast edition of Martin Luther's Evening Prayer. The message from God's Word is prepared and delivered by Rev. Dr. Richard Ziley, and this local broadcast is made possible by the generosity of hearers like you. You may like us on Facebook, Martin Luther's Evening Prayer. May God bless your listening. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God. And a great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, Do not harden your hearts, as at Meribah, as on the day at Massah in the wilderness. When your fathers put me to the test, and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For forty years I loathed that generation and said, They are a people who go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. The Old Testament reading is from Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God 
among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, you have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you. You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. O Lord, have mercy on us. Thanks be to God. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God, my trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is shield and helper. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that hates at day. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but they will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place. Most high, who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague shall be against. For he will command his angels concerning you. To guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up. Lest you strike your foot against the stone. 
You will tread on the lion and the adder. The young lion and the serpent will trample on your Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him as he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him. The epistle reading is from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. O Lord, have mercy on us. Thanks Thanks be to God.
Gospel according to St. Matthew, the fourth chapter, beginning at the first verse. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. This is the gospel of the Lord. We have an advocate with the Father. Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. Galatians 6, verse 14. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. A man was walking down a road. He hadn't come down for a while. He noticed a man on top of a barn putting the finishing touches on a brand new roof. That's a mighty impressive roof, the man remarked to the six-year-old who happened to be standing on the barn side of the fence. My daddy built that roof and he did a great job, responded the boy with pride. I don't recall that the old roof was that old. Did it need replacing, inquired the man. Now the boy looked down at his feet, ashamed. I was playing with matches in the hayloft and caught that roof afire, 
My daddy saw the smoke. He climbed up to rescue me and then he put in an awful lot of work to replace the old one after they put the fire out. The boy spoke of these events with both pride and shame. St. Paul's attitude towards Christ, what Christ has done, was similar to this boy's attitude towards his father's work on the barn, ashamed of what he had done, but proud of what his Lord had done. Tonight, as we begin the Lenten journey, meditating on what St. Paul has to say about the cross, let us consider what he has to say in these words from Galatians 6:14. This time it's from the King James Version. God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. And this is our central idea tonight, that the cross of Christ reminds us of our shame and of our glory. In the first place, the cross of Christ, and by the cross we don't mean simply the, the wood that he hung on, but his giving of himself for us in suffering. The cross of Christ reminds us of our shame, our sin. You know, we need an annual day like Ash Wednesday because too often our lives get comfortable, easygoing. We take things for granted. You Have you ever taken a relationship for granted and you start presuming or pushing or crossing boundaries or teasing and then you, you forget your place? That happens to Christian people with their God. And sometimes we are deceived by the world. We're influenced by people around us. Too often people are proud of what they should be ashamed of. Like that bumper sticker, my kid beat up your honor old kid. And there are people who boast of their sexual conquests as if running like pigs were something to talk about in public. And people boast about getting drunk or getting high or breaking laws or cheating others. I've been so embarrassed by some funerals I've attended where well-meaning family members tell about how Uncle Johnny wasted all of his time and all of his money. And we're supposed to be happy about that. But you see, even we respectable people, proud of our degrees, our accomplishments, our standing even we can lose perspective for the essence of sin is to love the lesser things more than the better things. And in that, we are no better than the worst criminals out there. They may love evil things, but what is evil? It's simply gross and, and obvious to others. It's obvious that loving drugs more than following the law, loving health is bad, but we do the same thing. We love our calories more than we love our health. And that is in principle the same sin as the drug user. We may love pets more than human relations. Not that our feelings are to be condemned, 
I mean, my cat makes me feel good in a way that some of my relations don't. But that becomes a temptation to sin when we act on those feelings. When we pretend that our cat is more important than the image of God living next door to us. You know, we feel more affection for a friend than an employer, but to cheat the employer in favor of a friend is both a sin and a crime. These feelings are not to be condemned, but we need to be aware of our various loves, lest we love the lesser thing more than the greater thing. For that's what leads us to sin. The fact is that we have become inured to sin, desensitized to right and to wrong in some parts of our lives. There are some parts of our lives where we're perhaps oversensitive, we're too afraid. We commit the opposite kind of sin. We have what the Catholics call scrupulosity. We're afraid to do anything good because we're so afraid of making an error or a mistake. We blame ourselves for other people's actions. But in other parts of our life, we have become desensitized to sin and we indulge in it ignorantly, if not freely. That's why we need to contemplate the cross of Christ and see the true cost of our sin. Then we know that our sin, though it may seem trivial to us, is really very serious. When I was a kid, touching that copper wire coming out of the wall seemed very trivial to me, but my father took extra pains and I felt them to realize how serious that would have been. And so we need to contemplate the cross of Christ to see the true cost, the true meaning of sin. And the purpose of our Lenten season and Ash Wednesday is self-examination. Not to look at other people and point out their sins, to look at ourselves and recognize our sin, our need for the cross. And then to apply God's forgiveness coming from the cross to our own sins, that we might be healed, that we might be sensitized to what's right and wrong, that we might seek the former and avoid the latter. For salvation is more than just avoiding hell. It's arriving in heaven. And the Lenten journey is to encourage us each in that goal that we might enjoy the blessing the eternal blessing that God has intended for each of us and that He was willing to give His Son on the cross that we might have. And the cross of Christ reminds us of our glory, our Savior. You know, there were three women bragging about their Valentine's gifts. The one said, oh, my boyfriend gave me a fur coat that's good for at least ten seasons. Another gal said, my, my boyfriend gave me a new car and that's good for at least 200,000 miles. And the other girl said, my boyfriend gave me an engagement ring and I'll bet that's good for a lifetime. Well, you know, that's the kind of gift that we have received from our God. We have been given the gift not just of a lifetime, but of an eternal lifetime. 
We can boast of a Savior who gave His life for us. How many people are loved so much that someone would lay down his or her life for them? In our world today, where we reject one another, where families fall apart and, and people attack each other over trivial political differences, isn't it good to know that there's someone who accepts us sinners as we are, who is willing to give his life for us? You who have been baptized into Christ have been engaged. You now have an ongoing relationship with the Lord who called you into existence, who gave his life for you, who has called you to eternal blessing. Baptized into Christ, now our sin is placed on Jesus. His righteousness is given to us. And he gives us many more gifts. He gives us his Holy Spirit to believe this so that we might have new desires, so that we may lose our taste for those things that are killing us and that we might develop the, the taste for the other, as C.S. Lewis puts it, a taste for the holy things, the eternal things, the blessed things that are laid up for us in heaven. And this change of desire is what the scripture calls repentance. When we no longer desire the things that are passing away and we yearn for the things that endure, that is the turning, that is the change of mind, change of heart, change of direction that the Bible calls repentance. And so there's a joyous aspect to repentance. Like the boy whose fire destroyed the roof. He regretted what he had done. But there is joy in what his father was able to do to repair the damage. So for you and me, there is sorrow and repentance, sorrow for sin, regret. But at the same time, we are turning to something so much better. And now our challenge is to live this out in our lives. What we desire, what we speak of, what we praise and glory in. Examine these and pray that God may change your, your words, your, your desires, the things you glory in to the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be crucified to the world and have the world crucified to us. That we see the world and its good things in their proper perspective. That we desire the much greater thing that Jesus has prepared for us in his cross. And so we can say with St. Paul, by the power of the Holy Spirit, God forbid that we glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I thank you, my Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have graciously kept me this day for into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul, and all things. Let your holy angel be with me. Amen.